are going to get into our series, The Honeymoon is Just Beginning. So get your notebooks ready, get your pens ready, and prepare your hearts to hear a message from God this morning. everybody. My name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church. I'm glad that you're here. For everybody joining us online, uh, thanks for participating. And to uh, Plymouth and Milton, glad that you guys are joining in on us in the second week of our series. Uh, the honeymoon is just beginning. Uh, it was a good start to the week last week, good start to the series. And before we jump into this, just wanted to say, um, in the Dover location yesterday, we had the Farmers to Family event, and so a semi-truck, another semi-truck of 1,100 boxes of food showed up, and um, within, I think, two hours, there were six boxes left. So it was lines, double lines through the parking lot down the street, uh, had to direct traffic, uh, it was in the Fosters. Um, newspaper this morning about it. So, so, so good. Thank you to everybody showing up and helping to volunteer. And um, man, just well done. So good job. Put your hands together. Let me know you're alive. (laughs) And uh, that's good work. All right. Week two of this series, we're talking about how to stay in love. Now, I read this uh, in my researching this week. It was a, a comment on a Christian blog from, from some lady. I didn't get her name, but, but maybe I should have reached out to help her. She said this. This is in the comments of a marriage blog. Like, this is unbelievable. She said, I have stuck out a very lackluster marriage for over 30 years. I have not experienced great joy and we are not very close in any way. There's no, there's no positive thing coming here in case you're waiting for it. But I've stuck it out for my faith and my children. And certainly, maybe that's you, and certainly, um, I think every single one of us know of a couple who've experienced that. Last week, I went to a virtual funeral. During the eulogy, the young man said that his parents were now together again in heaven. This next part is in all caps. I don't want to be with my husband for eternity! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I promised... Until death do you part, and that is how I want it to be. I want to be free in eternity. Please tell me that I don't need to stay married for eternity. How, how sad. If you ever wonder why we would do a marriage series at Restoration Church, that is why. What this lady has felt, honestly, is not that uncommon. What's uncommon is that she expressed it without any expletives. It's also uncommon that she actually expressed it. Most people just hide this until there's an implosion later on in life. And... Um, I, I didn't do any research 
for this, but I believe I read uh, studying for another series a couple years ago that the rates of divorce after 20, 30, 40 years of marriage are the highest they've ever been. There's people kind of like this are like, I've stuck this out for 30 years. I've got 20 years left. I'm not dealing with this for another 20 years. And you see a lot of marriages ending now, even in retirement, even when there are grandchildren involved. <laughs> I think we can experience something better than that. Doesn't mean it will be easy. Doesn't mean it'll be all, um, you know, rose petals and, and Marvin Gaye songs. It doesn't mean that it's gonna be um, just blissful moment after moment after moment. But I think, I think we can experience something better than that. And even if you identify with this lady, even as husband or as wife, you, you say, that lady, it, she, she knows what I'm feeling. Like you resonate with that some. I hope that this morning that something will change in your heart for there to be hope again. And that hope is not death and that hope is not divorce, but that hope is that Jesus could change something in your marriage. First Corinthians chapter 13, there's one, uh, there's three letters in there that I wanna focus on for a second. In first Corinthians chapter 13, it reads as, um, it reads, love never fails. And we could begin to argue that, but I didn't say marriages never fail, because they do. They fail. They, you know, that's something that has probably hit most of us. But what the scripture says, and what I'm saying and repeating, is that love never fails. I don't want you in this series to try to figure out how to endure 60 years of marriage. That's not what we're trying to teach, all right? We could teach about perseverance and, and just, you know, persevere, hold tight, don't give up, you, you know, um, eternity's coming. But that's not what we're trying to teach. Can we really stay in love with each other and love each other for that long of a time. One of our former pastors who, who greeted us in the, on the last Sunday of our, of our vision series, uh, Alman Bartholomew, he pastored the church, he started in 1952. He passed away last week. He and his wife were married 70 years. He was 91, she's 96, and still, you know, still going strong. They, you know, still live in their own, she lives in their, in their own home. And you don't, it's not about enduring marriage for that long. Even the marriage you're in, like, I got to figure a way to get out of this, or I need to figure out a way to endure this. And what I'm trying to teach this morning is maybe we can figure out a way to love each other again. I asked some married couples this week, 
How do you stay in love? So there, it, was, uh, I, it was husband and wife together. So one person couldn't try to skew their answer a little bit. And um, certainly there was a round of jokes, but begin to get down to some real answers. So one couple married 49 years. They, they said this. I, I said, how do you stay in love? And they said, we invested in each other and not in things like furniture. And then they, I think they said their couch was 30 years old. And, and what they said is, we took amazing trips every year we could. So every other year, even now, every other year they go to Hawaii for a month. And, um, and, then, and so they just have this rhythm. And so rather than upgrading the furniture, they've upgraded their hotel room and, and the places that they stay. Another couple married 45 years, married 45 years said um, that they've stayed in love by thinking about the po- by thinking the positive things about each other and not the negative. It's really easy to focus on the negative things of your spouse and to think all the things you wish you could change, all the things that could be different, should be different, that they should do different. But if we begin to think about the positive things, that's how this couple communicated. They, stay, they have stayed in love. One couple married 19 years, they said, by praying together. One couple married 23 years said a lot of laughter and spontaneity. And one couple married 47 years said a key in their marriage has been deference. And that means humble submission and respect. They don't try to get their way with each other. They defer to each other. And that's been a principle of their marriage. I asked my wife, Michelle, this week. I said, Michelle, how, how do people stay in love? And she said, let me know when you find out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> she said for her uh, over communication and then I forgot what else because I was thinking about this joke, but it was important. It was really good. <laughs> I want to give you a definition of Christian marriage. And uh, this is by uh, counselor and Christian Richard Dobbins. He said, Christian marriage is a persistent effort on the part of two people to create an environment in which each can become the person God intended them to be, a person they cannot be on their own. This is a different definition of marriage than than maybe you had when you were first married or maybe that you even have now. It's an effort not to create an environment where they can do what you tell them to do, where they can become what you want them to, to, to be, but where they can become who God created them to be. This definition, this attitude towards marriage begins to help us to respond differently to even some of the complications that we may be facing right now. Wait a minute, it's not to just get them to accomplish or to rid themselves of bad behavior that irritate me. It's to get them to become and help them to become the person God intended them to be. And when you begin to think this way, sometimes it allows us to have grace where, where we don't want to allow grace because we're like, wait a minute, Holy Spirit, you have them on a process. And you allow the Holy Spirit to work in their life. Now, let's talk for a moment about how you can love your spouse We're going to talk to three different groups of married people because um, we're not all in the same place. Some of you, maybe you're in love right now. How do you continue that? Some of you, 
you're, you don't hate each other, but you're not in love with each other, all right? And I, I, I think that's pretty common. We find ourselves as roommates, business partners, co-parents, um, but, not, but not people who, are, who love each other, love each other well, and, and are in love with each other. And then to the last group, it's marriage conflict. Um, you're not getting along. You would both openly admit you are not in love. You are not even necessarily cordial with each other. So three things here. If you've got your Bibles, you can jump along with me. You can also just write down these scriptures as we look at them, which will uh, help you to refer to them later. So how can you love your spouse? We see in Ephesians 5.25, the apostle Paul is writing toward husbands, but this can be applied to both of you. You love each other as Jesus loves the church. And even in our communion time this morning, we've begun to see a picture of how Jesus loves the church. He lays down his life for his church. He remains committed to his church. He never abandons his church. Ephesians 5.25 reads, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. How do you, if you're currently in love, how do you, how do you stay in love? You know, as you're continually laying down your life, your preferences, your hobbies, and begin to think with your spouse in mind, begin now to love with a, with a, with a supernatural love. Now, what about if your roommates and, and maybe just business partners, you share a bank account? We see in scripture that we can love them even as a neighbor, which is a command. It's a command to still love them. You have no closer neighbor than your spouse. Luke chapter 10, verses 27 through 28 the man answered Jesus' question and he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. We begin to think sometimes when there's a little bit of friction or there's a little bit of, of, of a divide between us, begin to think, is it worth it to continue? Is it worth it to begin to rekindle uh, these emotions again? Is it, is it worth it? Is this relationship worth it? How should I act? Should I just now care about myself because it doesn't seem that they're caring for me? It's a command here. You must love your neighbor as yourself. It's not about what your neighbor deserves. It's not about what your spouse deserves. How do you treat yourself? It's a command from Jesus to treat your spouse the same. Now, lastly, the command from scripture, what if you hate each other's guts? What do you do? I'm not gonna love them, I hate them. I'm never gonna love them again, not after what they've done to me, not after all these years. We have another command in scripture, Matthew chapter five, verse, four, verse number 44. Jesus says, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We did talk a couple of years ago, I don't remember what series, but in our marriage series about that idea, even if, you, if you're following Jesus and you're in a bad marriage, 
you still have a responsibility according to scripture to love your enemy. You have a responsibility to be obedient to scripture and to treat and love each other. Um, you know, in, 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 in scripture, the word love is for different types of love. But you have that responsibility to operate in one of those areas of love. Now, here's Jesus' formula for, for loving someone you don't love. And so this is in Matthew chapter five as well. Um, number one, bless them. So bless those that curse you. Maybe that curse is your spouse saying, you're a terrible spouse. How will you bless them? So how do you, lo- how do you, how do you love someone you're an enemy with? You begin to bless them. Do good to them that hate you. We often think about our enemies about getting revenge, sabotaging them, making them you know, feel a bit of the pain that they've given us. But that's not our motivation to our enemies. We're called to love our enemies. We do that by doing good to them. Number three, pray for them that, that despitefully use you and persecute you. So again, how do you begin to love someone that you don't love? You pray for them. You bless them. You do good to them. You pray for them. You're in a marriage with a spouse you hate. You think, how could we ever turn this around? How could we ever begin to love them again? Well, treat them as good as you would treat your enemy. And it will begin to turn around. Sometimes we get caught up and people begin to lament, I'm just going through the motions. Sometimes they talk about that with church. They talk about that in a relationship. I'm just going through the motions. And they're, they're saying that as an excuse to give up. What I've always taught, whether it's in your relationship with Jesus, your interaction with his bride, the church, or your interaction with your own bride, go through the motions. If you're just going through the motions, good. Keep going through the motions, but make sure you're going through the right motions. So as you pray for them, as you bless them, as you do good to them, going through the right motions, continuing the date nights when you don't have anything to talk about, continuing to find hobbies when it seems like you're on, you're on opposite ends of what you find enjoyable. As you continue to go through the right motions, your emotions will eventually catch up to your obedience. Your emotions will eventually catch up with your obedience. So as you go through the motions of, of, of loving your enemy, of loving a distant spouse, or even as loving, continuing to love someone you're in love with, your emotions follow that. Because our emotions go up and down, right? Well, I think we all understand that. I'm not saying that you're going to be in, in a romantic, ethereal love every moment for the rest of your life. But you can have deep love for each other. And there's moments that emotions are high and low. And that feeling, but as you continue that, those feelings of love, they will not disappear. They will not disappear. And when you're in a spot where you're like, I just don't even think we know each other anymore. I don't think we're close to each other anymore. Then you continue, you go through those right, those right motions. Because that, that feeling will follow that obedience. 
Love is not a feeling. Feelings are a side effect of that. Now, I want to give you some things on how you can live this out in your life. Some scriptures I want you to memorize and some motions for you to take in your life that's going to help every married relationship in our church. Before we jump into that, I, want, I just want us to, um, to evaluate ourselves. I want us to deal with our own heart because we always want to begin to blame our spouse for the problems that we're facing. We always want to point fingers. Sometimes our motivation to get in front of a marriage counselor is just to get someone to get our back and to tell our spouse how, how bad they are. See, I proved it. The counselor even says so. But your ability to stay in love, think about how many years you have left. If you both live to be 91 and 96, how many years you have left in your marriage? Your ability to stay in love has more to do with the condition of your heart than it does the behavior of your partner. What's going on inside of your heart has more to determine in the outcome of your marriage than, any, than anything else. And certainly, there's spouses who in their own heart don't take care of it and they, and, and they may leave you. But we're making sure we as an individual are putting ourselves in a place of love. Sometimes that's all it takes is one spouse saying, I'm taking down these walls. I'm going to love you as good as I love my enemies. And I'm going to trust God with the outcome. And that one person making that decision begins slowly to change the entire circumstance of the marriage. And if you have two people doing that, two people who'd repent to God and repent to each other, I've been selfish, I've been self-centered, I've been more concerned about what you're doing than the condition of my own heart, and I ask for your forgiveness. I'm gonna keep my heart right before you and right before God. And if you have two people who do that, what's gonna happen in that marriage? They're gonna quickly move back to being in love with each other and living a life that's gonna allow them to stay in love with each other. It's a big deal. All right, three scriptures to memorize and to live by. Remember, these are some of the right motions that will lead to greater love. So Galatians chapter six, verse number two, write this down. Memorize this. Get this tattooed on your forehead. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. Share each other's burdens. Prayer, honestly, is the most important way that we do this. It's the most important way that we share each other's burdens. What can be our burdens can be family problems. They can be work problems. They can be health problems. They can be spiritual problems. But we share those burdens with each other. Husband and wife don't carry separate problems. That's just your, your problems, your family, you deal with it. No, let me, let me help you carry it. Oh, that's your job. That's your, you deal with it. I don't want to be bothered by it. No, what's going on? Let me listen. Let me help. Let me pray. I want to give you a big task as a married couple this week. This is your, big, your biggest homework assignment. I want you to pray together. Beyond just pray together, 
I want you to pray out loud for each other this week. I'm not even gonna tell you to do every day. I want you to do it one day. Maybe you set it on your calendar. One of you secretly set it on your calendar. And then whatever, whether it's Wednesday at nine o'clock at night, you just say that your alarm goes off of your phone and you're like, hey, can I pray for you out loud? <laughs> if you've never done this before, even if you have done it before, sometimes it can just feel awkward because prayer is one of the most intimate things that we, that we do as husband and wife. So you begin to say, hey, can I pray for you? And it's just, honestly, it just feels, it can just feel awkward if you've never done it before. Grab their hand and pray for God's blessings on their life. They don't pray back to you because maybe your spouse is not even a Christian, but maybe they just don't feel comfortable. Don't feel bad or offended by that. Begin that practice of praying out loud for them. And this, uh, this allows you to keep Jesus as a focus in your marriage and it allows you, and it always reminds you we're not in this alone. My marriage with Michelle, it's not dependent on my education or Michelle's education. It's not dependent on my background or Michelle's background. It's not dependent, dependent on what books I read or what books Michelle reads. Our marriage and our, our success of our marriage is not dependent on how well our kids behave. Our marriage is not dependent on, um, you know, on, on, on whether I have a, a, a French-Canadian um, uh, personality or not. It's not dependent on any of those things. Our marriage is dependent on our ability to follow Jesus. Can I follow Jesus today? Can I let the Holy Spirit correct me, rebuke me, convict me? When God speaks to my heart and says, apologize for that, am I willing to do that? When God speaks to Michelle and, and he says, um, um, forgive him for that, apologize for that, give grace for that, does she have ability to be obedient in that? And as we pray aloud together again, it reminds us, okay, we're not alone in this. It's not based on our ability to keep our marriage together. It's based on Jesus and how he can lead us and direct us and guide us. The band can begin to come forward. I would encourage you as you share each other's burdens to, uh, to kind of practice putting this thought into your vocabulary, this sentence into your vocabulary, especially for those of you who have young kids. Begin to ask, is there anything I can do for you? And um, uh, this is not something I remember to ask every day, uh, probably even every week, but sometimes I get in a good rhythm of it. I don't always like to ask that question. It'd be nine o'clock at night, and before I get comfortable, or, or before I sit down on the couch, or before I get ready for bed, while I'm still standing up and uncomfortable, I'll say, is there anything I can do for you? And then sometimes it's like, no. Sometimes it's like, go switch, the, could you switch the laundry? You never like to hear that there's something you can do for your spouse, but what is that doing? You're sharing each other's burdens, and what does that speak to your spouse? That you're always willing to help, always willing to share. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. 
This is part of going through the right motions, being kind to each other, kind with your words, kind with your actions, offering forgiveness to one another. You know what? Forgiving them before they've even asked for forgiveness. So when they do come and ask for forgiveness, you're not contemplating it right then at that moment. You've already forgiven them and then you're able to extend it to them right away. Sometimes, as me personally, as an individual, sometimes, sometimes I'm a jerk. Sometimes I'm a real idiot. I'm always grateful when Michelle lives this verse out in our marriage, when she doesn't hold a grudge against me for days or months or even years. I, I think one of the things that has allowed this season of our marriage to be so beneficial and so great and the best season we've ever been, one of the things for me is I don't feel like she holds a grudge for anything that's happened in our marriage. And that's kind of a, that's one of the things that can be difficult for a spouse because when you have a disagreement, all of a sudden the other, the, the, one of the spouses is bringing back all of the 35 things they've already forgiven you for. And so you never feel forgiven. You never feel, wait, you just, you just use your words and say, you, you forgave me, but you didn't really because you're continually bringing up. When we talked about in our communion in Dover, the blood of Jesus forgiving our sins and God not being able to remember those past sins, when we offer forgiveness to our spouse, it's a deep, deep forgiveness that we're very careful not to throw back in their face later. That is the type of motion that brings deep damage and harm to a relationship. So we forgive one another just as God through Jesus has forgiven you. And when I say I forgive you, I forgive you. When I say I forgive you, I've meant it. I wasn't just trying to avoid conflict. I wasn't just trying to, um, you know, end the awkwardness. And, and conversely, when I ask for forgiveness, I'm not just trying to get them to cool off. When we ask for forgiveness, we're not just trying to get away with it. Or, no, we have to really mean it. Repentant in our heart. I've done the wrong thing. Then lastly, write this down. Romans chapter 15, verse number seven. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Accept each other. Imperfections and all. There's no marriage that's perfect. Don't, you don't think for a second that our marriage is perfect. It's not but it's a great marriage and we wouldn't trade each other, you know, for the nicest pickup truck in the world. We wouldn't trade each other for anything. We begin to think what what happens is we don't accept each other. Uh, We don't accept each other's imperfections. We begin to get upset at each other's imperfections. We begin to highlight and think about each other's imperfections. We begin to compare our spouse's imperfections with other people's perfections, which is a very, very dangerous and ungodly thing to do. Just want you to say, if my spouse never changes again, I'm gonna love them. 
if our marriage is never red hot again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love them like I've been called to love my enemies. I'm going to do good to them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to pray for them. And if, if they never do anything in return, I'm still going to love them well. Listen, as we end this, how do we stay in love? Certainly, there's a whole bunch of things that we tried to pack into this week because it's not really a kind of one-sentence answer. We honor Jesus with our heart. We keep our, our sin. Um, uh, you know, when we sin, we bring it to him right away, asking him for, to forgive us. And then we confess that to our spouse as well. I spoke to you wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? We pray out loud together. We share each other's burdens. We, um, we uh, accept each other. And we forgive one another. Every day, every single day is a decision. Every day. So today on Valentine's Day, I encourage you, write down these three scriptures. Galatians 6.2, Ephesians 4.32, Romans 15.7. And allow Jesus to begin to soften your heart toward your spouse. And then for those of you who are, you just in love, you feel that, you're in a good season of marriage, protect that, don't give up on that. And uh, I don't, I, I remember a few years ago, I don't remember exactly when, but I remember I used to have this fear when we, when we would get in a fight and I'd think, is this it? Is this the one fight that's gonna ruin the rest of our life? And um, nothing, no fight can. No fight can if you don't allow the enemy to come and create a wedge between you. And that wedge can't exist when you're praying for each other, you're forgiving each other, and you're at least loving each other as much as you would an enemy. So here's what's gonna happen for you. You're gonna, you're gonna maybe this Valentine's Day, you're gonna begin to talk. Hey, I don't, uh, and what we don't ever wanna do is because we don't have feelings, say it must be over, I don't have feelings. No, no. We operate out of love for each other and, and feelings follow. Feelings ebb and flow. But the, but the feelings will be there and they'll deepen as we continue to be obedient to what God has. Listen, let me pray for you, Jesus. I pray for every married couple in our church, every married couple joining us online. And I just ask you in Jesus' name to bring reconciliation between husband and wife who are so divided. Maybe they see themselves as enemies, but God, may they begin to live out scripture and be obedient to you to love their enemies. Maybe, God, they're not enemies, but they're not close. May they treat each other and love each other as you've called us to love our neighbor, and may there be a reconnection. And God, um, I pray that for every spouse, no matter what their spouse has, has done to them, um, uh, what divide there is, they will love each other, Jesus, as you have loved us. I just ask you in Jesus' name to bring reconciliation in marriage, to bring deep love in marriage, to renew our commitments to each other in our marriages. And God, that we'll have a testimony of, 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 of being in love 
of staying in love and of staying together. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.